0: With the best audio experience.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about money, both for business. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Mike Zani. How are you?
0: Yeah, totally. great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: for me it's a big pleasure. Uh, we chatted a little bit before the podcast, so uh, I'm excited to learn more about that. Especially, uh, you mentioned about hiring the right people and management. Before we start, tell more about yourself, experience background, and why you decided to share with us about this topic.
0: Well, I used to be um, a professional sailor and a sailing coach. I, I coached for the 96 uh, Olympic sailing team uh, when the Olympics were in Atlanta. And that's when I started going down a sort of a people talent centric path. I didn't know it at the time, but you know, then I, I had a great opportunity to go to business school and get a little more formal education uh, on business and uh, have since uh, purchased and run four companies um, I'm actually running the, the fourth one, but building building world-class teams, I ran into the Predictive Index as a client uh, and actually had the opportunity to buy the company. So got into the talent space. Uh, it has been a passion of mine for years, how to win with and through building great teams. And uh, that's, that's sort of why I'm standing in front of you today.
1: Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Yeah. Can you tell how to hire the best? Uh, specialist to your team today because, you know, uh, for me, from my experience, generic methods don't work because, you know, uh, when you are looking for good specialist experts, uh, if uh, you use like generic methods when someone uh, submitted requests, uh, it doesn't work. But the best recruiters usually uh, go more deeply and uh, catch hunting others or many other methods. Uh, From your experience, tell how to find uh, the right people. for your companies,
0: I, I think great companies, um, you know, have a long-term strategy. So I'm going to go into something. If if you're private equity backed or venture backed and you have a lot of capital, it's like going into the free agent market in sports. You want to win immediately. You don't want to win long term, so you spend a lot of money. You know, you hire the best, the brightest. You hire recruiters. Usually, they're retained search recruiters, not contingency recruiters and you know money is less of an object you want someone who's been there done that however like the teams the sports teams that take a free agent usually they mortgage the future to win in the present i think great companies have a strategy of a long term strategy where they recruit a lot of talent early in the experience curve you're 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 trying to get people who don't have a resume, who haven't been there and done that, and you're willing to invest and develop them. That's how teams with farm systems win in the long term, and that's how companies consistently win in the long term. Bringing in raw talent, and being willing to train and develop that talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I love reading books, Uh,
1: and it's my passion. uh, I remember the time when I overwatch TV right now. I over reading books you now instead of watching TV. And I found one interesting book, uh, uh, um, number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list: "The Science of Dream Dreams." Can you give me a solid reason why uh, I need to read this book? Because you know I have a huge list of books that I need to read, and for me it's hard to find time to read all of them and of course uh i usually use priorities uh to focus on some specific books uh so uh, tell me and my audience uh the number one reason or solid reason why we need to read facebook
0: <laughs> i think you know, well firstly if you're really busy there's an audio version of the book so you can nice. you can read Love it at 1.5 times and get through it really quickly but the reason i wrote um The science of dream teams was to introduce the discipline of talent optimization. That I wanted to change the dynamic that people were thinking about talent. To to post fluffy resume or job job descriptions on job boards, and then do unstructured interviewing, and you think you're going to develop a world class team. You're not. You have to invest in this long term dynamic of talent optimization, Um, and commit to it. So this book was a little bit of a cookbook on how to approach talent optimization from someone who cares. You know, if you want to win with and through people and teams, you know, this is going to, this is going to help you get there. It happens to be the first book on talent optimization. It may not be the, in the end of the day, it may not be the best, but it's, it's getting people started on this journey.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And uh, can. Uh, list uh, benefits. Uh, what kind of benefits uh, can you uh, share on this book uh, because, you know, uh, for example, you know, uh, I usually uh, start reading books by uh, check out their reviews, you know, uh, I see a list of reviews and I understand, okay, uh, this book can help decide my problems, pain points, this book can simplify my life and many other things. Can you tell uh, what kind of benefits you share on this book?
0: Yeah, I mean, each chapter is sort of on on a standalone. We talk about building culture. We talk about building high performance teams. We talk about hiring. We talk about setting setting proper mission. We talk about using tools uh, like psychometric assessments, behavioral, cognitive assessments on how to build world class teams. Um, so each each chapter is really a standalone. And I use a lot of uh, sports analogies as a former coach. Um, you know, I'm I'm bringing that to bear and uh hopefully making it really entertaining for people to uh, learn about these these vignettes
1: mm-hmm. yeah love it, love it uh and can you tell the main difference of hiring people for uh sport businesses and uh the rest uh, because uh, uh you know i found that uh, when you focus on one specific direction you uh, are more productive because jack of all trades, master of Not. What kind of difference of looking great specialists uh, for sport businesses?
0: Well, I mean, there are certainly specialty positions that that you need to hire for. I, I, my favorite example of this is if you're gonna if you're gonna head uh, hire the head of biotechnology, um, you know, at a firm developing, you know, state of the art, you know, drugs. That you need not only do you need cognitive you know, high powered, but you also need experience. That's a very crystallized knowledge where you have to bring a lot of experience to bear to do this. You have to have knowledge of the FDA process, you have to not have knowledge of chemistry, biology, and you have to have done this before with development teams. Most positions are actually not like that. You, you, you really have positions that people can learn in three, six months. And so you have to think about your position if I'm gonna apply these lenses or filters where I want high cognitive capabilities, I want the right behavioral fit, I want the right book of experiences, I want someone who's managed people before, you know, I want X, Y, and Z, So maybe someone who's been in my industry or run um, a similar type position, you apply all those filters, it just becomes harder and harder and harder and harder to find the right person. So, Mm you have to really think about the filters that you're you're arbitrarily applying. Some of them you need, some of them you don't. I think a perfect example is why do you need a college degree? Why do you even need a high school degree? Everyone has said that college and high school don't really prepare you for the future. And you're like, we know this. Um, Now, it, it is different if you're looking for someone to be a doctor. You you need the licensure, you need the certificate, you need the MD, I get that, but most positions aren't like that. You, you need someone who's done, done sales before, you're like, you don't need someone who's done sales before. You need someone who has the behavioral characteristics and the cognitive capability to do sales, you train them. That way they don't come with any bad habits.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. I remember one study about Google that 40% of uh, employees on Google have no high degree. No, on Google. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, it's the trend today. Even uh, uh, it depends, of course. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, in health industry, it's better to have it. You know, of course. Uh, in some specific niches, I don't know. Yeah, it's better to have it. But in most cases, you don't. And practice brings uh, more experience than anything else. Uh, I have the question. You no, know, before I ask the next the next question uh, let me share my story you know uh, a few years ago we uh, you know my team uh, and i we uh, worked a lot in one big project and um, you know i lost attention uh, what's going on in my team and uh, a toxic environment appeal, you know, so uh, uh, good players, you know, on my team, they left company. So I decided to research, to investigate what's going on. Then we changed approaches, uh, m- many things, and I got it, no way. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, job you have, you need to pay attention to your team. And on your LinkedIn profile, I found that you can help to uh, create a successful culture. Can you tell more about that? How it's important? to unite uh, people in your team, uh, in a cohesive goal, to understand, because uh, all of them are different, you know, they have different mindset. So uh, tell more about
0: creating this successful culture. Yeah, culture is, uh, you know, a lot like, I refer to it like cooking, you know, that baking is a very strict science, you get it wrong, the dough doesn't rise. You have to get the chemistry correct. However, cooking is a little more nuanced. You can add different spices and flavors. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So with culture, firstly, your senior management or the head of the team, depending on what lens you're using, is really the chief cultural officer of that. And and you can suggest the type of culture you would like to have, but it's the collective which brings that culture. And the things that you can do, the levers, is what, the things that you accept and the things that you don't accept. If you, if you think someone's being a jerk and that's not something you want to tolerate, the longer you let them stay, the more it becomes acceptable in your culture. Getting rid of those elements, um, so you know negative feedback on certain cultural elements, positive feedback on other cultural elements, and you create a collective culture. It's not always exactly what you intended, but it starts with, you know, aligning people are on a really strong mission, aligning them on the culture that you aspire to, getting them to give input into that. As an example, we, we wanted an environment where we're, we said, politics doesn't fly around here. And someone said, you know, we're not really political, but that means nothing. You know, just get rid of that element, you know, and it's just, we we don't have, we still don't have a political envi- environment, but it, it's just like, it, it, it wasn't building on what we were trying to try, trying to do. So the team actually said, jettison this. So you have to listen to your team in in crafting this. And it really depends on, you know, if I'm the CEO of a 5,000-person company, you know, I, de- I take a different approach to this culture than if I'm managing a five-person team. Um, but it's the same fundamental elements. It's just how fast you can move it.
1: And uh, can you tell from your experience uh, how often uh, CEOs need to talk uh, to their employees? Uh, Do they need to uh, set up special meetings? You know, I mean, like to uh, encourage them to go ahead. Uh, It's not about the job that they need to do. I mean, like to encourage, to understand them, their pain points, to decide them and go ahead with that uh, from your
0: experience. I mean, CEOs styles vary in massive ways. You know, some people like to have one-on-ones, remember everyone's name, sort of manage by walking around. Other people are great orators and they speak at all company meetings, they're inspirational. Other people, you know, write things down and it it's it's more about the written word. And I'm not I'm not trying to here to be here to say that one style works or doesn't work. I do think one of the most important things the ceo can do is engage actively in this process it it has to be active active engagement determine your own style everyone has it it's probably way more often than you realize i've heard someone say the ceo is not the chief executive officer it's the chief explaining officer where you think you've said something you got to you're like i just said that last week you're like You say it again, you build off of of these things. You can try saying it in different ways. Now, I also suggest most CEOs should trigger the first element in openness, transparency, and vulnerability. If they do that, they gain a lot of credibility with their people because the CEO can also feel like, you know, untouchable or they have no vulnerabilities. Whereas if they could say, no, I'm working on some of my own stuff too. I don't always listen. I sometimes run people over. I can be overly direct and they're like, wow, you're, you're being really open and transparent. You said, I actually want help with these things. If you see that I'm doing these things, I want your help. I want you to call me out on it. So if the boss can be open, transparent, and vulnerable, they create this positive cycle that others can say, maybe I can be too. Yeah, yeah. Awesome.
1: So valuable. Uh, Okay. Uh, Can you tell uh, the main, uh, I mean, like uh, your unique selling proposition or benefits uh, of uh, the predictive index compared to your competitors? Why uh, your services or products are better than uh, some uh, other familiar competitors? Because, you know, uh, the last time I get a lot of requests. Uh, to similar uh, services, or products, because, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, many companies, uh, CEOs, uh, founders, they usually uh, search for new ways to empower their employees, to uh, encourage them to be more productive. Can you tell about benefits of uh, your company?
0: Are you familiar with uh, sort of red ocean, blue ocean concepts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the talent optimization space is more blue ocean. It's not very competitive. It's open. People don't actually go out and shop for these as often as you might think. I think the most competitive aspect of it is is pre-hire assessments. There are a lot of companies doing this, and there are a lot of people who, a lot of companies, competitors of ours that do it well. But I really think for the most part, this is blue ocean. People aren't shopping for it. They should be investing in tools, investing in software, investing in companies and consultants that really work for their own style. And, and it's, it, it's with that lens and it's, it's blue ocean. Most people, as soon as they realize they need it, they're not going to go continue to shop. They're like, I want to buy it now. So we actually feel that our number one competitor is people doing nothing not Mm -hmm. embracing talent optimization not actually doing things different not changing the fact that they're looking at resumes and doing unstructured interviewing but that's that's our biggest competitor so it's not a singular company it's just the fact that people and their habits are hard to change and i look at sport my children play fifa you know on xbox it's one of the most popular Mm -hmm. sports games when you play FIFA, they actually have a talent dashboard managing their players. They have player scorecards. They can organize their teams as the manager, offensive and defensive sets, arrange the players. They have a more powerful talent dashboard in FIFA than we do in business. So why, why do our 14-year-old kids have better talent management tools than we do? It's because people are afraid to change in business. In sport, they do it all the time. The day after a loss, the fans call for the heads of the managers, of of (laughs) players that let you down. But in sport, we have miserable employees and coworkers or bosses, and we deal with them day in and day out. It's really sad that people are willing not to change. That's our number one competitor.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think failing only brings new experience and nothing else. You know, uh, for me, it's hard to count how many times I failed, how many mistakes I did. I, I keep doing them. So I learn from them. So I agree with that. And I remember when Elon Musk quoted about that, he told, if you uh... yeah, let me remind this quote, it's like, uh, if you don't make mistakes, you are not innovative enough so that means you need to make mistakes uh can you tell uh, how uh, to take these risks uh, how to uh, because you know of course uh, Some education, uh, when you fail, costs a lot, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, I remember when uh, I made terrible mistakes and uh, lost uh, because of these mistakes, but uh, then I analyzed for some time that, you know, I didn't have special knowledge to avoid them. I didn't know uh, and I choose, you know, uh, that was decision made by my uh, knowledge that I had on this time and I got experience. Okay, let's talk about taking risk, uh, because I found that your company can help with business strategy, uh, how to uh, add taking risks to business strategy?
0: You know, risk is a is a very difficult thing to quantify with people. And I, <laughs> I, I give this example, um, I asked my wife, uh, then my fiancee to marry me and um, we went to marital counseling and. So I knew enough about this woman to want to spend the rest of my life with her. But at Marital Counseling, they asked us how we like to handle our finances, our checking account. And they asked a question and they want, they they asked each of us to think about our response. And when my wife a- answered the question, I was like, huh. I had no idea how she was going to answer that question. So we knew enough about each other's love and personalities to be willing to get married, but we didn't know enough about our risk tolerances. We actually have tools at the predictive index which measure measure risk tolerance. People who have high degrees of dominance, they like their own ideas. They like their own way of doing things. They like to put thumbprints on things. They tend to be you know, more risk tolerant, especially when you couple that with low formality, where rules are just suggestions. So high dominance, low formality people are really risk tolerant. They take risk all the time, feel very comfortable with it. Like you, they're sort of saying, you know, if you don't take risk, you're not putting it out there. Elon Musk happens to be one of these high dominance, low formality individuals. When you take the opposite, people who have high formality, they like perfection. They like doing things right. They like knowing the rules. They follow those rules. They actually even help write those rules. Those high formality individuals who are low dominance, they're more collaborative, they seek out the best ideas, they become risk intolerant. They pro- they protect us against risk. I once had a, an attorney who was high formality, low dominance, really risk intolerant. And he's like, you entrepreneurs are amazing. I never have had an idea that has been good enough. I, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just can never do it. I, I've never had that idea. I'm like, His name was Jeremy. I was like, Jeremy, you are never going to be an entrepreneur, but you can help a lot of entrepreneurs stay out of trouble with your profile and you're really good at it. You're a great attorney. You're risk intolerant. You make sure that we don't make mistakes legally. They go, be satisfied with that. That's your gift. So I think it's understanding your inherent risk tolerances, because I can't say to someone like Jeremy, who's risk intolerant, just do it like there is no just do it in their bones. Whereas if Jeremy's giving me advice, he'd be like, make sure you check everything three or four times. And I'm like, you're never going to found a company. If, if you do that, you have to take these leaps of faith. So there are different, these, these, these profiles, these psychometric profiles are highly predictive of the types of businesses that you will get involved with, that you'll be attracted to the type of risk that you'll, you'll take. And it's, it's so incredibly predictive. And the whole thing just takes, in six minutes, we can assess it. So yet, I go with my wife year and a half courting her. I still don't know the answer. Take a six-minute psychometric <laughs> assessment. I'd know the answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, love it, love it. Great example. <laughs> yeah, uh, I
0: have the. Question We're still married, about... by the way. Just, just. <laughs> yeah,
1: I <got> <laughs> okay, I have the question about common mistakes. Can you list? uh common mistakes that businesses still do and your uh, advice uh how to choose the right way
0: that's that's tricky it with respect to that's such a broad question with respect to talent yeah people, yeah Let, let's talk about talent.
1: yeah
0: yeah I, I i think most most people um are afraid to make drastic changes with their people. They know they're working with um, mm-hmm. underperforming teams. There's an old axiom, you never regret firing someone you know too early. Mm-hmm. And so people have there's also this other axiom that's like you hire slow, fire fast. Now mm-hmm. I am not sitting here like some awful person saying just fire everybody. That's not the answer. But the, the idea is that you you need to remove parts of your team. It's this it's this pruning when people are low engagement, low performance, not bought into the culture, they need to be removed. You need to fill them with people. Hire slow so you make sure you really get the right fit. Because some, like, especially in today's environment, you get 3.5% unemployment. That is structurally, everyone who wants a job has a job, pretty much. So people are like, I, I gotta just hire whoever shows up. I just need bodies. And that's a classic mistake to destroy your culture, destroy your performance, destroy your overall engagement, because you have people who don't want to be there, who aren't bought into the culture. They're not bought into the mission and likely they're not high performers. Whereas it's better to hire slowly and be willing to train, willing to develop and make sure those people are bought in.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't uh, remember exactly the number, but it's around 50 percent, even more. Uh, about their own hiring, even if you uh, slow the process, but uh, companies still uh, make bad decisions by hiring people. Can you tell how to minimize this ratio?
0: Yeah, actually, it's um, people get it wrong. Actually, sixty-six percent of the time when they do oh, it yeah. with unstructured um, interviewing, just overweighting the the, the resume that you can you can get it to about eighty percent right with the adoption of of psychometric tools like behavioral assessments, cognitive assessments. still not a hundred percent. and And keep in mind, the cost of a bad hire, it's it's i've I've heard the numbers anywhere from thirty percent of someone's compensation, annual compensation. and And that's for someone like in a call center. you know, if you've got a forty thousand dollars employee, The cost of a bad hire might be 30% of that, you know, call it 12, 15 grand, where it could be as much as five times someone's annual salary when it's a really mission critical position, head of product development, you know, your head of sales, you know, where they really screw up the engine, the machine. So when you think about 30% on the low side to five times the cost of someone's annual salary, you can't afford to get it right only a third of the time. You have to sweat the details on this. You can get it to 80, even 90%, where you take behavioral cognitive assessments. You do structured interviewing. You do interview grading. Our people who are bad interviewers get asked not to interview anymore, where you get mm-hmm. people who are good assessors of talent with a scoring system. We do it in our applicant tracking system. So let's just say, Anatoly, you and I interviewed uh, candidate A. And I said, candidate is horrible. And you said, candidate is great. Six months later, turns out candidate A is great. They're like, Mike, why did you, you know, you've got a track record of saying people who were great were terrible. We're going to ask Mike to be removed from the interview process. Now, it's harder to determine if you don't hire the person because you don't find out if they're great. But you, you score your teams, you invest in your teams, you invest in the processes around hiring, you can get that number at 90, 95%. And then as soon as you get it that high, you're really worried about churn, turnover, because you (laughs) want to make sure that if you're going to hire that well, other companies and recruiters know it. They go, wow, the people at the predictive index are amazing. I'm going to try and cherry pick them out of that great company. They do a great job of hiring. So now you have to defend yourself against the, the the (laughs) wolves, so to speak, and, and prevent, prevent attrition, which is very hard today with, you know, wage inflation, Um, people, you know, the great resignation that bad companies used to have 15, 20% turnover. Now they're over 50%. Mm -hmm. Good companies have gone from 5% to maybe 10. So even good companies are are losing people at a faster clip, but great companies with really super cultures are, are still holding, holding at 5%. And it's, it's hard to do, but it takes a, a huge effort.
1: Yeah, yeah, valuable, valuable, love it. Uh, I have the question about outsourcing. For example, in my company, uh, we use this method a lot because uh, I, uh, you know, some occupations, uh, some... uh, Experts I don't need the full time, so I, I outsource them, uh, hire online web developers, designers, many other people. Can you tell about the right outsourcing? How to find the right people online on freelancing uh, if you, you don't need to have them in your office?
0: Well, there's there's a continuum. It goes from on-site employees you know, to remote employees who come into the of, uh, office hybrid to fully remote employees to people who aren't even um, affiliated with you. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest difference is in in the United States, we call it W2 versus 1099, but really it's employee versus independent subcontractor and the degree of control you have with your independent contractors. Um, If you need control, you really need employees. If you don't need control, you just need work done and that you're going to manage these work streams you can work with independent contractors and you put a little more burden on your own project management, but it, it, it works really well. We do the same thing. We, we behaviorally and cognitively assess our subs because we want to know they there's still people. If, mm-hmm. if I hired you, whether it was an employee or I hired you as an independent contractor, I still want to make sure that I communicate with you. That it is in a way that you would prefer and that we understand our, you know gaps. How you might communicate with me, you in, in ways that might frustrate me. As long as we know this beforehand, we can make a great relationship. So we do the same tools whether they're an employee or a subcontractor. I think the question of employee subcontractor is more about degrees of control that you actually. How much control do you need over the work that's done? Is it is it light or is it heavy? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: totally. Uh... I have the question, you know. uh, I have, uh, you know, uh, we uh, share a lot of tips for businesses, but what about uh, job seekers? Uh, Can you tell them what kind of mistakes they usually do and uh, lead them in the right direction with tips, uh, what to change, how to improve their skills? Because I see you have education in Harvard, so uh, you have uh, extended experience, you wrote the book, but uh, tell. Audience, if someone wanna be a leader like you, you know, to achieve high positions, what do they need to do today to uh, achieve it?
0: I think most importantly is love what you do. I think there's there's too little joy in work that so many people just they they go to a new job because they pay more money. Money is a false god. If you love what you do, you'll you'll earn, you'll earn good money. But if you just chase the money, you're, you're, it's an evil, evil succubus money because it's, it's very compelling. It's the number one reason people leave, but it's not the one number, number one reason for success. You need to find joy in what you do. If you have joy in the work that you do, not only does it make you a better employee, it makes you a better person. So when you come home, you're a better sibling, you're a better parent, you're a better spouse, you're more patient with your children, you're more patient with your spouse, you're more patient with your neighbors. And we need that community right now is missing in society. There's so little community. We need to be good to each other. And it starts with having joy at work.
1: Yeah, I think without all joy, Uh, I don't know how to go ahead because I remember in school I hated Monday, today I love it because it's my passion, you know, my job is my hobby and yeah, I completely agree with that. It's better to love what you do and uh, according to a few studies, 70% of people hate their jobs. A lot, no, 70%. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell? uh, Okay. If someone hates. uh, a job you know 70 percent of people uh can you tell them what they need to do today because if they made the wrong decision before uh they chased money but right now they wanna uh get happiness uh tell them what to do
0: (laughs) yeah get getting getting happiness is um it's a really tricky it's a really tricky uh paradigm i mean happiness is not just a singular feeling. Happiness is, a, is is very complex. You talk about, it often involves some joy. It doesn't have to be all joy, but it involves purpose. So the, the good list of things about driving to happiness is, is about faith. And I don't mean just religious faith, but having some sort of philosophy. It's about family and having ties that bind you. And it doesn't have to be biological family, but people who have really tight ties in a family way. It's about friends, and I don't mean deal friends, I mean real friends. And it's about work that gives you purpose. That's your that's your good list. The bad list, the bad list is money, chasing money, chasing power, chasing fame, and chasing hedonistic pleasures. Like, that stuff doesn't last. It might feel good immediately, but it doesn't last. So that, that happiness construct, if you, if you find you know, those relationships and work with purpose and you have at home the system of, of, of family, friends and some sort of faith, you're set up to be happy. You know, If you're just chasing money and power and fame and, and, and pleasures, like if instead of going home to your family after work, you're just going out to drink expensive wine avoiding your family, like you're going to be miserable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Uh, we have the question about, you know, uh, someone asked, uh, for example, if a recruiter doesn't understand the topic, uh, how you can, uh, allow this recruiter to hire people. Uh, yeah. And we have an example about web development stuff. Uh, if they are not skilled and ask questions, and they are not familiar which confuse and break the interview uh tell uh what to do it, i think like it's a suggestion for a company <laughs> how to find great recruiters
0: yeah I, actually we we hire most of our recruiters internally uh we just because we we want that level of control and you know we train them it, it doesn't mean we don't use external recruiters um they're they're great External recruiters, when you find a great one, keep them around. Uh, you have to feed them some business or they won't pay attention to you uh, when you find great recruiters and you find great sources. so but we to the extent that you're you're able to, we we espouse developing some recruiting expertise internally. Now, if you're a small company and you you, you can't spread if you're a twenty person company and you're only growing you know five, seven, ten people a year, you can't really quite afford a full-time recruiter. I understand that. So there, are, there are many economic reasons to to not do that and to outsource. Um, but you know, your recruiters are representing your hiring brand. They're representing you. They're helping you build your culture. You cannot afford to use someone who you don't trust, who you don't think represents you well, who you don't think can really embrace your culture and project that as part of your hiring brand. And I would, I would fire without hesitation a recruiter that is not doing anything but a world-class job. And what you need to do is you need to talk to the people they've touched to find out, are they doing a good job? Are they representing your brand, your hiring brand specifically well? Are they representing your company well? Are they speaking um, positively and favorably and on point? Um, now, one of the things you said about t- technology talent, the hardest talent to find today, uh, we've started doing our own internal boot camps. So we're hiring really thin resume and training people. We've turned marketers, call center people into engineers. Uh, and they, they don't have an engineering degree, but into software developers, um, and you just need to find people who have, um, high cognitive, the right behavioral profiles and an interest and you can train these people, it, t- it takes some investment, but you get more cost-effective employees, you get a lot of loyalty. When you train someone and teach them a new skill and they become good at it and they get a little joy in their life, they give the company a lot of credit for it and they stay around.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the final question. Uh, sorry guys, I, I see that you got a lot of questions new, but uh, yeah, it's the final question. What's the future of talent optimization five years from now, it?
0: Yeah, that, I, that's a great question. That it's it's developing quickly. I think I don't think we fully fully know yet what what it is. And I use this example in American baseball. Um, they put high definition cameras into all of the stadiums, and they started measuring things like launch angle and spin rate. And no one knew that that was an important metric 10 years ago. But today, that's all they talk about is spin rate and launch angle and other very nuanced attributes that I think the better we get at measuring people and the better we get at understanding people, we're going to be looking for different attributes. But I think it's the people who are willing to go on that journey. They're willing to look at people differently, not just a resume, not just unstructured interview, not just said, oh, you went to the same high school or college that I did you must be a good person. Those are the people who are really going to explore the metrics, the criteria, the statistics, which are going to predict talent in the long term. Okay, love it. Mike, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you, tell our audience
1: how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you.
0: Yeah, uh, dreamteams.io is the website for the book. You can reach me there. You can take uh, a free cognitive assessment at dreamteams.io and um, all my contact information is there. I uh, hope you enjoy it. There's even a, I think there's a sample chapter that if you want to read it, um, that'd be great.
1: Nice. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below, listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. You know, a lot of valuable insights. Guys, you need to open this website to learn more, Uh, to read this book. I will share uh, the link to Amazon uh, about this book, so it's better to read it. You know, you can get a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys. Love you. See you.